This is the Gore and Mole Podcast with your host, TJ Bowser, Chad Chrisman, and Wes Payne. The man behind the mask, the What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Gore and More podcast. This is your host, TJ Bowser, and joining me today is writer, director, and actor Vincent DeSanti from Never Hike Alone and 13 Fanboy. Hey, what's up? Thanks for having me, man. So today is August, April. April I'm not going to say August this time. April 15th, <laughs> 2019. And how was your week, man? Great. You know, we've been running our uh, Never Hike Alone second edition Blu-ray campaign. Um, I've had some time off from work. I wrapped up on a show called The Rookie uh, sometime in, in earlier March, like mid-March. Uh, so I've been spending the last month that I've had off, you know, running this campaign and kind of working on that during the week and working on some personal projects and some future projects and just very, very busy. <laughs> so I've just been kind of running from one meeting to the next and working on the campaign and posting and doing all this stuff so it's been a lot of fun uh but yeah man it's it's been a whirlwind how you been uh pretty good just podcast after podcast after podcast i saw coming into one big podcast at this point but uh it's it's going good uh very excited to have this opportunity to interview you though very very excited yeah i'm excited to be here i mean i've you know i've seen the work that you've been doing and i'm really excited to kind of jump in and talk with you and, and and answer some questions about never hike alone and what we're doing in the future and you know 13 fanboy all the fun stuff yes so let's run a short message from our sponsors and then have the interview on your way Gormore is brought to you in part by a new kind of fear customs friday the 13th inspired custom gaming controllers hockey masks latex masks and collectible statues you can find them on facebook Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at A New Kind of Fear Customs. Do you like photography, cosplay, and Friday the 13th? Then check out 13 Gallows Lane. You can find them on Facebook at Gallows Goes to Hell, on Instagram at 13 Gallows Lane, and on Patreon at Emily Helene. Warning, some content not safe for work. Hey, you know those people. <laughs> I know those people a little bit. Yeah, Topher does uh, new kind of new kind of fear. Does a uh, ton of ghost chasing stuff. Ghost chasing controllers. Ghost chasing uh, latex mask. Like built like the the face that we did in the film. Um, and he's done so many figures of ghost. It's awesome. I'm like, I want them all. It's <laughs> like send them over. I want to put them all over my desk. They're friggin' cool. Yes, yes. Uh, you know the stuff they did from like the puzzle game and some of the you know original stuff he's done. It just looks really great. It, it's amazing to see fans go nuts. And of course, Joe and everybody over at uh, Gallows Lane and Emily just. You know, repping Ghost Jason, doing cosplay for it, and Jordan too. You know, it's it's really, it's it's funny to see where Never Hike Alone has kind of gone uh, since we made it because it's this isn't anything that I ever expected that people would be cosplaying it and stuff like that. I just thought we were making a film. You know what I mean? Like, oh, we're gonna make a film. It's gonna go out. It'll do its thing, and I'll move on with my life. But it's really been cool to see the staying power that the film has had and the impact it's had on fans. Absolutely. So this uh, segment is called Thirteen with Thirteen. Uh, Thirteen questions with a. Uh, Friday 13th related people. So question number one, what was your inspiration behind creating Never Hike Alone? Um, I mean, the inspiration just came for a lifelong love of the series. 
um, my biggest goal when I was uh, moving out to LA about 11 years ago would have been to work at some point in my career on a Friday the 13th film. And when I moved out in, it was like 2008, New Year's 2008, they were getting ready for the, the 2009 film. And I had just started out. I had no clue how to get on that production. So I, I didn't even come close. So I was just, you know, a normal fan watching it from the distance and, uh, you know, went through the rigmarole of all the the pre-production for that watching it and then it coming out in the aftermath and then 10 years of of silence and over those 10 years where i continue to work through the industry i just felt that kind of dream slipping away of like oh, i'm never going to get to work on a friday the 13th film they're never going to make another one and i don't know how to get over there i'm working in animation how do i how do i do this you know how do i make a friday the 13th fan film and eventually not a fan how do i make a friday the 13th film and eventually i just said you know what? why don't i make a fan film i got you know, I live near some woods and, you know, I'll build a costume. We'll come up with an idea and we'll just see where it goes. Um, and, you know, the inspiration really just came from what did I want to see in a Friday the 13th film? What are the types of elements that appealed to me? Uh, you know, I'd gone up and done some hiking and research and scouting and things like that. And as I was doing it and I was walking around some of these places alone, I realized like, Ooh, what if you stumbled into Camp Crystal Lake on a solo journey and bumped into Jason Voorhees, what would you do? And it was kind of like the nightmare of my childhood too. Like when you're a kid and you've watched Friday the 13th and the next day you're outside playing in the woods with your friends and you're all alone and you're standing in the forest and you're like, what happens if Jason just walked up on you? What would you do? And so that's where the concept of Never Hike Alone came from. That and also because the series had been dormant for so long, this period of like, we haven't seen Jason in a long time. So who are the victims or who are the people that maybe have come along in the time where we really haven't seen a public display of Jason that have come and gone and nobody got, nobody knows who they were or what happened to them. They're the mysteries. They're the people who disappear in the woods every year that you never figure out what happened. They're just a missing person. So it was kind of built around those concepts. And then from there, it was all the process of making the film. It was finding the camp. It was meeting the people that I met and being inspired by the fans, which, you know, started, this started as a 10 minute short that turned into an hour long feature. And that was all kind of driven by the kind of the natural things that happened during the course of production. And it was just, uh, it was a wild ride. <laughs> I mean, it was just, we were inspired every other week and we were inspired by the fans to make it longer. We were inspired by the fans to make it bigger. And, you know, we just wanted to do our best to turn around and, and give them the best film that we possibly could. Excellent. How did you come up with the name and look of Ghost Jason? Um, so Ghost Jason, it's kind of funny. We never really had a name for our Jason. We, we just, uh, early on in the process, I really decided that I wanted a different look for Jason. I wanted to do something unique. Um, a fan of the jacket. I've never been a fan of the modern look of Jason, but at the same time, it wasn't that I didn't like the concept behind it is I just didn't like the execution. I thought that the jackets were ridiculous looking like the one in Freddy versus Jason's this bloated overcoat. And then the one in the remake looks like a trench coat. It just, it, you know, just the whole design, the design aspect of where Jason is gone probably since, you know, the end, you know, since part eight, which is the last time other than his face that he really looked like all out great. Um, I just was like, there's something we're we're drifting too far away from the character that we love and know. So how do we take this modern look and make it feel like the old school sensibilities? And I went back and thought like, okay, after part eight, all of his clothes melted. He's just this like dripping tar man looking creature that's just slinking his way back to Crystal Lake. And he's going to rebuild this costume, but let's build it in a way that like 
that makes sense. So we went back to like the brown style of pants, which he's worn gray and he's worn brown in some of them. It's like more of a tan in like part uh, four and it's more gray in parts uh, in part three. So we, I went with the brown. I kind of wanted the aesthetic of like the four, so the brown and the green, so really earthy colors, uh, especially in the jacket. Like the jacket was more brown in Freddy versus Jason, and it was more black in, in part in two thousand nine. And I just didn't think that those that those were the colors that should have been dominant. The dominant color on his chest should be green. So we went with the green kind of military military style jacket, stripped away some of the military stuff just to give it more of that that Sears work shirt type feel. It's got the pockets on the chest. We ripped off the pockets near the waist or at least one of them or tucked them away and, and really made it, it feel like it was just an open work shirt, but just a little bit bulkier, just a little bit heavier. So it sit well. And then we got the bloody sweatshirt underneath the brown pants, uh, which fit that kind of brown, green, earthy tone. Um, and kind of started there. And then it was about the mask. And so, you know, I, I looked up a bunch of places that had uh, good silicone uh, appliances. So we went with CFX in Louisiana, uh, bought some hands, uh, bought uh, a cowl, and those worked. I mean, it, is it what I would have wanted for a feature length, you know, Friday the 13th film? Probably not, but it, it did the job. You know, it was, it was what we needed for what we thought we were doing at the time. Um, and then I started kind of uh, we started going through a bunch of masks. So I ordered a bunch of repros. I tried a part three, I tried a part four, I tried a part six, um, even tried a part five dream sequence and like different ones and, and nothing really seemed to, to fit. I felt the more that we tried to emulate the old films, the less original we were or the less authentic it felt. It felt like, no, this thing's got to age. It's got to change. It's got to be different. So I started researching old masks from the sixties, the Jacques Plante and just other things that, that they were wearing at the time. And I came across this just beautiful photo of an old, uh, mask that was just, you know, weathered and worn down and didn't have any chevrons on it. And it just looked so empty and ghostly. And I was like, this is the new Jason. This is the Jason 30 years later. His original mask has been snapped in half. His other one got lost in New York. So he's got to get a new mask. There's probably another bin somewhere around Camp Crystal Lake when, you know, in the sixties when they were trying to get the camp up and running and they were bringing equipment there, maybe they had these masks in storage and he pulled one out. Um, so we wanted something that felt like from the sixties era. And that's where that mask came from, I contacted Brett Morris at CFX, who had supplied us with our silicone effects, um, and said, hey, how do you feel about creating a brand new mask from scratch? I sent him a picture of what I had found with some Photoshop changes on it and said, let's start here. What do you think? Back and forth of literally molding a brand new mask from scratch, uh, you know, not just like some, you know, version of, but a real thick mask. Um, and that's where that the design for our mask came from. And eventually what ended up happening was, is we were doing the, um, the first run of the Never Hike Alone Blu-ray. We were offering the mask for sale. At that point, we had taken the mold uh, from CFX and we had shipped it over to Sculptor Die with Brandon Scott Murphy. And he was going to make the repros of it straight from the original mold, which we still have available. Um, we have a wait list for it. Um, but during that time we were like, okay, I got to come up with a name for the mask. And so my original name for it was the bone hawk because it kind of had like a bone type feel and all this stuff. And Brandon came back and was like, you know what, man, it's got more of like a ghostly feel. We should call it the ghost hawk. I was like, oh, that's awesome. That's such a great catchy name. That's cool. And so I was talking to Joe Gallo over at, uh, at 13 gallows lane and i was like dude we got a name for the for the ghost talk i mean for the hawk it's called the ghost talk he was like oh that's really cool so does that make him ghost jason <laughs> and right there i was like it's amazing i'm like that's great what a great catchy name but something that can be 
who we are. It's a great identity. And so ever since then, we've been calling him Ghost Jason and it fits. Um, you know, one of the stories behind the mask was we were thinking about putting chevrons on it, but I said, you know what? It's been so long. If there were anything on it, it would have faded off. Um, the ghost white look fits the ghost Jason name. But at the same time, we'd always talked about like having no chevrons was our calling card, you know, bronze jason has the red chevron and ghost jason has no chevrons and it was our way of saying we're paying homage to everything in the past but we're doing something original and we're doing something you've never seen before it's a risk but we believe in our idea and we're going to go for it um and that's really where we kind of came with with that look it was um it was all about coming up with something new that that felt like it had you know a foundation in the original films with a touch of the modern look that really brought together the best of both worlds, in my opinion. And and I think that the, I think in that regard, I think we succeeded. I'm very happy with the way that our, our Jason turned out and, you know, for future stuff that we want to do where he's going to go and how we're going to, you know, bring the evolution to some of the appliances that we have and just, you know, not change it a ton, but just, you know, up up the production value a little bit. What an incredible story. And, that's awesome. Did you think Never Hike Alone was going to be as big as it has become? Not at all. I mean, when I first started doing this, I mean, I saw that like, you know, Friday the 13th fan films have the opportunity to get a good view on YouTube and things like that. But really, we were doing it for fun. And, and my biggest hope was one day I'll get to screen it like legit screen it. Like we're going to put this on a big screen. We're going to fill a theater with Friday the 13th fans and we're going to watch it like a, a film and it's going to be great. Um, and at the time when we were making it, there was still supposed to be a film that was coming out in 2017. It was going to be the Brett Eisner directed uh, version of Jason where it was the dad, the mom, and then, you know, Jason and page 72 shows up. Um, and we were, it was like, we were in production. It was January. We were on hiatus, you know, running a second campaign and getting ready to, uh, to finish the film that spring. The, the film was going to be the, the big film was going to be canceled because of rings and, you know, Friday the 13th fans started flipping out. Um, me included. I was like, what the hell? And then I read the script and I was like, probably better that they canceled it. Uh, and is that we were functioning as this little this little thing that was going to come out maybe August, September, and we were just going to fly under the radar and be like, Hey, this is our homage to Friday the 13th. And this is in support of the new film, you know, watch the new film, blah, blah, blah. But this is the fan saying like, you know, Hey, we're here and, and we're excited. Um, when we took that film away, 2017 opened up and we went, you know what? We're pissed. We're going to take that slot and we're going to fill the void and we're going to do it for as many Friday the 13th fans as possible. And, uh, we went through the production and all that fun stuff. And it wasn't during, it was during the summer that we ended up getting in contact with the Telluride horror show, set up, uh, an opening night screening on Friday the 13th at the Telluride horror show at the, the Sheridan theater and packed that place, you know, front to back. We had a line around the corner. It was like, I was completely blown away. Like it was one of those things where like, as we were getting close to, to launching, I was nervous. I was like, oh man, like I really hope people like this. We worked really hard on it. Um, you know, it was a really hard production. It was, it was a really tough, uh, production schedule and, you know, personal lives and professional lives and all the sacrifices we were making. And just, you know, it wasn't easy shooting at the camp. We were in a very isolated area where we didn't have access to, you know, even bathrooms. Like we were pooping in outhouses and <laughs> camping toilets and staying warm in vans because there was no heat and, you know, staying at this camp overnight, dirty, covered in dust, and then driving, you know, a half hour drive home, showering in Airbnbs. It was, it was a tough, tough production. So when you do that, you just hope that people respond to it well and that you don't release it and be like, what the hell is this? Only one guy, only this, only that. 
Um, but when we got to Telluride Horror Show and we start to see people lining up and we start to see the anticipation for it, it was amazing. And then the film released and, you know, I think that, that what really hit me were some of the reviews from like, you know, birth movies, death and Friday the 13th franchise.com and bloody disgusting. And just, you know, not only people like, um, but applauding it and, you know, understanding what we were trying to do and seeing the nuances behind it and under understanding what the overall goal is for like, not just making a Friday the 13th fan film, but being like, listen, if we're going to make Friday the 13th films going to the future, if look at this and see what works and maybe drop some of the unnecessary bullshit that they try to cram into each film, like following the formula and all this other crap that's just outdated and boring. And, you know, all these like weird thing, adventures they keep sending Jason on rather than just focusing on what makes the, what makes a horror film good. And that's tension and scares and, you know, good effects and, you know, solid, simple story making, uh, storytelling. And it's been insane. I mean, like, you know, we started, like when I started this, did I think I was going to be able to design a kill for the Friday the 13th game? No. Did I think ghost Jason would end up in, uh, Friday the 13th puzzle game? No. Uh, get recognized at conventions and, you know, be able to travel all over the country with the film and screen it all over, you know, basically all over the world never was even on my radar. Um, and so the experience of each time that kind of happened was it was fulfilling. It was after all that hard work that my team and I did, it was definitely, uh, it was a great reward to be able to enjoy the spoils of our, of our efforts and, and share it with Friday the 13th fans. And we couldn't be thankful enough because they've, you know, the popularity of the film has helped me personally, you know, you know, my goal with Friday, the with the film wasn't to make it popular and become, you know, some Friday the 13th, whatever. It was just to prove that I could make live action content and get a job in the live action world. And it did, it helped me get a job in, in live action that I could continue my career. Um, it got interest for me to direct some upcoming features, which I've been attached to. I can't talk about them yet, but it's been, you know, it, it for me, it's been crazy. Um, and it's been a good testament to the type of storyteller I am and filmmaker I am. And, you know, I'm very excited for the opportunities that it's now, uh, opened up the doors for me. Is there anything you wish you could have done differently with the film? You know, it's funny, uh, at this time, because what ended up happening was, is we were split into two different productions. So we did a production in the fall of 2016 and then a production in the spring of 2017. And basically all the things that I wish I could have done differently, I did in the spring of 2017. So we went through the fall and not everything went as smooth as we wanted. Uh, some stuff was out of our control. Some stuff was in our control. And what we, what we did over the winter break while we were kind of recalibrating celebrating was all the things that were in our control, we decided to attack and fix. And by the time we went into the second round of production, uh, we fixed those things. So did I wish that I did it that way from the beginning? Yeah, sure. But the fact that we were able to make those changes halfway through and then, you know, basically execute into all the way home, uh, that was great. If I could have done anything differently, I wish we could have raised more money. I wish we could have had a little bit more support. So we could have done a little bit more, made it a little bit longer, involved, you know, Tom a little bit more and, and done more things. But, you know, everything happened so naturally that there was no other way we could have done it. And I think that all we can do is that if we're, you know, when we come back and, and we reveal to people what our idea is for like the Never Hike Alone world and what we want to do with it, um, you know, I hope that, that, you know, when the support is there, fans know that we've done our due diligence to be ready for the next round of material and the next round of, of, um, to the point where they understand that, that we're legit 
and we know what we're doing and we're going to, we're going to bring the fans on a fun wild ride. What was it like working on an, ah, <laughs> what was it like working on an iconic character like Jason Voorhees? My favorite slasher of all time. So it was, uh, it was a dream come true. I mean, the fact that I got to play Jason and I got to direct a Jason with Brian Forrest stepping in as my stunt double for, you know, a lot of the, the fight stuff. Um, I mean, this is what I've always wanted to do. I mean, Jason is my favorite horror character of all time. Um, I've got stories about Jason that can go on for weeks and months and days. I mean, I mean, and years. I mean, I've got material that I've, I've wanted to tell Friday the 13th stories since I've wanted to tell stories. So this has been a dream come true. It's been a dream outlet of mine because, um, this is kind of what I've always wanted to do. I love Friday the 13th. I've watched the films hundreds of times, each one. And, you know, as much as I love the series, I've always had this version of Friday the 13th in the back of my head, like, wow, if these, if they weren't just thrust in production in the eighties and they're actually allowed to think about what they've made and think about what they've had, because they didn't really figure out Jason until four, five, six films in, they really didn't figure out like what they could do until they got to the film six and seven. Um, and then it got a little ridiculous even in seven, but you know, it started to get there. So it was kind of like, if we know what we know now about Friday the 13th and you could go back to the beginning and you could start again and not, blow up the franchise, like say, try to introduce Jason living in a mining tunnel system to explain everything. But if you went back and said, no, there's actually a story here that if you connect some dots and you follow a certain trajectory and a certain tone and atmosphere, you actually have a really good story here that rivals, you know, a lot of the other greats, like the Halloweens of the world, because Friday the 13th, let's, let's face it, has always been the cheeseburger of the slasher, <laughs> of the slasher films. It's something you don't really think about. You love it. You eat it. You move on. And you don't think too hard about it. But if you actually put a little bit of care into the characters and a little bit of care behind what was going on, um, there's actually a little bit more there. I mean, we have the Tommy Jarvis saga. We have Jason's story, Pamela's story. We have all these things that haven't been explored, you know, since then or before then that I think need an opportunity to be explored um, to do it. I think the feature films can do it a little bit. There's other opportunities, I believe, out there for Friday the 13th to uh, spread out into the streaming markets. Uh, you know, like say a film came out in 2020 and then you also have a series of streaming shorts or something on Netflix or something like that. That's like a compendium. Uh, I think fans would, would go crazy for stuff like that. So I'm hoping that as the rights kind of file out and stuff like that, we see the rights holders being smart, knowing that there is a lot of opportunity to tell a lot of stories about Jason Voorhees. Um, and that there's, there's an, there's a market for it. Obviously we've seen a bunch of fan films pop up and people are supporting them. So I'm at the point right now where there's so many fan films going on. It's like, well, why doesn't the, the studio step in and start like, you know, saying, well, if there's this many stories that we can tell, then maybe we should, you know, take ideas and develop them at the highest level and, you know, get them made right. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when can we expect a sequel to Never Hike Alone? On it now. I mean, we've been working on it, uh, but, you know, it's it's tough. It, this isn't like we're, you know, we're not Paramount Pictures or Warner Brothers or New Line where we have, you know, it's just me and a couple of people who live lives and work jobs. And, you know, we've been trying to answer the, the request for stuff from the first film and also do the due diligence to figure out if we're going to make the Never Hike Alone sequel, 
with everything that we need, where are we going to do it? Um, we can't go back to the same camp uh, for the entire production. I can go back there for some stuff, but I can't shoot an entire film up there. There's just, there's no access to power. The, the cost would be ridiculous. Um, and we need to do it smart. So we've reached out and we started making uh, some different uh, film commissions and actors and special effects houses and all these different people who are now kind of lining up to be the Womp Stomp Films Team 2.0. Um, because it's a much bigger production. And we're also trying to figure out a good production strategy. So we're not hamstringing ourselves to say like, well, if we need to make this, how much money do we need to raise? Do we really want to roll the dice and try to raise that much money? Or is there a smarter way to, to do the film? And right now my feeling is that we're going to not just do a straight sequel to Never Hike Alone. I think that that would be unwise for a production company of our size, unless somebody comes in and gives us, you know, millions of bucks and then we can do it. Split up what we believe the Never Hike Alone sequel is into basically four parts. And we would do it as a TV series and we just raise money for each section and kind of do it over the course of time to let the popularity grow and, and introduce new characters and do things and, and kind of centralize the story as we go. I think that it would be fun for, for fans to kind of see the journey progress that way. Um, and plus some things happen in different seasons. So so we would film one in one season and then take a break for a few months and then get back out, shoot something else. And by the time we're shooting that, we're releasing the first one. And they'll just keep kind of as we're releasing one, we're shooting the next one, releasing one, shooting the next one. And that would be kind of a string that would take us through uh, late 2019 to mid 2020 and then hopefully releasing everything by the end of 2020. That's incredible. <laughs> that That's the hype train right there. Uh, I mean, right now there's so many fan films coming out. Like if we started kind of saying what we were going to do, we just get lost in this mix of all this kind of like everybody fighting for the next slot. And it's kind of funny. Like we're just kind of watching it being like, this is just getting out of hand and ridiculous. So we're yeah. kind of letting everybody like clear the air. And I don't know when these films are coming out. Uh, hopefully they come out soon so we can kind of wait on them. Um, and as soon as they do their thing, uh, we're going to be waiting right there to make our announcement. And I think that fans, when they hear what we have and what we lined up they're they're going to flip out. Whatever's going on right now. Great. Good for you guys. But yeah, Never Hike Alone 2 and our series and what we have planned is something that Friday the 13th fans have never seen before. Um, and we're bringing in the highest level talent. It's amazing. Some of the people we have associated with the film, um, some of the contacts we've made and just the overall, I mean, if you thought you'd, we did good with just raising $18,000 before and then spending the rest to make, you know, 40 grand work, if we can get a, a good budget for this and we can get people to back it and back our team, uh, I think that, that fans are, are going to be in for quite a ride. And, you know, I think that if, if the rights don't settle and we don't get offered whatever, uh, get offered an opportunity to, to make, you know, never hike alone at the highest level, I would love to take never hike alone to Warner brothers and pitch it and say, this is what I think, you know, Friday the 13th part 13 can be. Um, if they say no, then I want to bring this to the fans and whatever go or LeBron James thinks that he can do, I think that we can do it better. <laughs> I honestly think that whatever they, whatever they're thinking up over there, we're, we're, our idea blows everything they have in development out of the water. I, I, can, I feel I can only imagine the things that are going on in your head. Uh, how do you <laughs> well, I mean, it's already been all written out. I mean, I've already got, I've already got it written front to back and I've already got the idea of how, you know, of, of, a never hike alone three, I guess you would say, oh my. uh, would, would, would pick up and come back and, 
introduce kind of a Jason, which would be really cool. So, um, yeah, we got, we got a lot of plans. It's just, it's, it's complicated and there's high level effects. There's high level stunts. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a hundred, hundred thousand dollar plus uh, production here. So we need to be careful with the money that we raise. We need to be careful how we raise that money. And, uh, we need to make sure that we're spending it wisely and that every, every dollar is accounted for because we can't get halfway through production and then realize, Oh, wait, we still need, uh, uh, we still need another $50,000. Well, let's run back to crowdfund and see if we can quickly raise $50,000. That would be stupid. Um, anytime you get into a production and you think you're going to make the whole thing and then you have to come back to crowdfunding, that's kind of shady. <laughs> It's risky. So when we make this thing, we're going to make sure that whatever we make, if it's going to be in sections, we can afford each section before we go out and shoot it. Um, and it's up to the fans to support it. If they want to see it, they got to support it. Um, and, and that's what we'll ask each time. It's like, if you want the next version, you got to support it. And this is how much it's going to cost. And you know that we're going to bring the entertainment value. And imagine what happens when Womp Stomp Films gets a chance to kill more than you know, two people in a film, you know, these films are built around killing multiple people and a lot of people. Um, so we need to, we need to do those effects, right. We need to do the cinematography, right. We're bringing in real actors. We're bringing in more alumni. We're bringing in all the fun things. So we just need the support of the fans to make it happen and, and we'll do it. Awesome. Speaking of fans and fan boys, how did you get involved with 13 yeah. fanboy and what was your experience been so far? Crazy things from never hike alone that I never expected. You know, it, it, it introduced me to Deborah Voorhees, uh, obviously an alumni from Friday the 13th part five, Tina. Um, you know, and it was funny. It was so like serendipitous that the, uh, remember the, the song that came out from Wolfie's just fine, a new beginning. Um, I mean, that was me as a kid. So when, when Deb kind of <laughs> hit me up and I, I think we did an interview on her page, I've done a couple streams on her page. Um, she started mentioning you know, 13 fanboy to me. And she asked me a couple of questions about production and crowdfunding. I said, Oh yeah, you know, you know, let's talk about it. And so we started going back and forth and I kind of told her some strategies that I use for, for never hike alone. Um, and then she reached out to me and drew because she's a big fan of drew lady who played Kyle McLeod and never hike alone and, and wanted us both in the film and even asked us to, um, casting and, and crew and, and all that fun stuff. So we ended up make, also making the recommendation to Haley Greenbauer, who's playing the lead. Um, she's, uh, she's a friend of mine who I worked with on some productions with a director of photography by the name of Ben Meredith, who's going to be DPing our upcoming original short pathosis, uh, in a couple of less than six weeks away from production. So, uh, we're, you know, so it's, it's all these different people that I've met over time. That's been really great, uh, that, that kind of were able to kind of bring into this project, but yeah, Deb reached out and she brought me, Andrew and Haley out there to shoot the teaser stuff. And we talked more about it and just, you know, the number of alumni she's adding to the cast and bringing people in and, you know, we're bringing Tom back in, he's going to be in it. And then Corey Feldman and CJ and, you know, Ron Sloan and, and, uh, Tracy Savage and, and all these different people who are going to be showing up. It's just, it's a cool concept. And Deb pitched me through the whole thing. I'm really excited about it. I'm excited that I get to play the, uh, the killer stunt double because the killer in the film is going to be one of the people from the film. I'm just playing the stunt, uh, which is a lot of fun for me because when I was alone and I was playing Jason and then on when I was playing Jason while we were filming, it was really tough because I'm sitting there trying to look at a wireless monitor while I'm in costume and be like, is everything lined up the way I need it? Stopping to do reviews. Okay. What are we going to do for the next scene? And I'm sitting there trying to give direction while I'm in a costume. It's nice to just be in the costume, receive direction, and then just act. And that's a real, uh, that's a real treat for me. I didn't, you know, I got to do the same thing on spirit of Haddonfield for Renee and the same thing for the face of Michael Myers for, 
and the guys over at Hawthorne Films. Um, anytime I get to play a character and just act, it's a lot of fun. So I'm really looking forward to 13th Fanboy where I can just sit back, put my mask on, go run around, kill a bunch of people. <laughs> and then when I'm not doing that, you know, it's, it's fun just hanging out with Deb. Um, you know, she was very open and, and, open my input when we're on set just about some production logistics and shots and things that she can do and opportunities that are out there as they kind of come up. And, you know, she's just a very collaborative filmmaker. Um, she's a lot of fun to work with. Very welcoming. I mean, we stayed at Deb. I mean, think about this four years ago or three years ago, I was just a Friday the 13th fan trying to make a film. Just then a year after that, I released the film, all of a sudden I'm staying over Deb Voorhees' house <laughs> in New Mexico for the weekend shooting shorts. I'm getting to hang out with one of my heroes and, you know, I've gotten to meet even more people like Larry Zerner and, and all these, and all these different alumni, you know, Ari and Harry Manfredini got in, got invited to the Friday the 13th, the game launch and met, you know, full time, got to work with Kane, got to direct Kane, like all these different weird things. It's kind of crazy. It's very, it's very tough for me to kind of process it sometimes when I actually think about it. Um, but yeah, so now this, you know, 13 fanboy becomes this opportunity for it just to be the next level of like, what type of opportunities Never Hike Alone has opened up for me. And I'm just, you know, I'm extremely grateful and, and just happy to be a part of the project. Awesome. Uh, what other projects have you worked on besides mentioned? Um, let me see. Uh, you know, I, have worked on a ton of stuff. Um, you know, my, my, I got started in feature animation. So when I started in the business and I worked commercials for a little while, uh, I started on this animated film called Freebirds, which came out in like 2012 or 2013, about two turkeys that discover a time machine, go back to the first Thanksgiving and take turkey off the menu. Uh, Owen Wilson, Woody Harrelson. I was on the production team for that, uh, ran the story and editorial, uh, teams, which were a lot of fun. It was my first kind of introduction to making a film. How do you take a log line pitch like I just took to you and turn that into an entire movie. And that's exactly all we had when we first started and they signed everyone up to the project was that log line. All right, how do we make it? Um, after that, I worked on a production called Rock Dog where I became a story consultant. I wrote some of the scripts uh, and a story editor where I tracked story all the way through development until we sold it. Uh, then I went and worked on another project uh, called Duck Duck Goose at this company called Original Force, where uh, we made a f you know, we made the film Duck Duck Goose. But I was working on a side project called uh, that, which never got released um, until I actually was working on that project. And that's when I decided, you know what? I think I've had enough for feature animation. I'm going to go make my own project. And I had started the Never Hike Alone project as a side thing that we were doing on the weekends, and eventually quit my job uh, Christmas 2016 so I could focus on Never Hike Alone all of 2017. And then, uh, after Never Hike Alone, I, I was able to make my bridge into, uh, you know, live action entertainment. So again, I, you know, starting from the ground up, started working in commercials, you know, picking off some stuff. I did AD on a couple of, uh, smaller independent movies. Uh, one was a Christmas lifetime movie, uh, although was it, um, a Christmas arrangement. And that was that. And I worked on another one called Psycho Stripper. Uh, you know, some fun, small, you know, $500,000, you know, kind of types of productions, something that I was kind of like looking to getting into probably as my first feature will be 500,000 to a million dollar feature. Um, and then I got an a really great opportunity to work on, uh, an ABC, uh, show called The Rookie starring Nathan Fillion. So I started on that project in September. I worked for the AD crew. So I worked with the first team, uh, which is all the actors. And I got to basically hang out with that entire cast of, of actors for six months um, and just hanging out. We get them ready for set and things like that. So it's as I'm doing it, I'm not necessarily directing the position. I'm out there learning and absorbing and it becomes, you know, a new, you know, it becomes like a new semester of college for me that I'm still continuing because when I'm out there, I'm not just doing my job. I'm out there looking at what the 
the camera guys are doing. I'm out there looking at what the sound people are doing, what the lighting people are doing, effects, uh, all of that stuff. And just what it takes to run a smooth you know, live action set and, you know, always learning, always studying and then coming back. And, you know, I directed uh, a short film called Imagine uh, in late uh, 2017, which has been making its festival rounds. Uh, I directed another small short called Last Broadcast. Uh, the last ones was the installment. It was a three part series where uh, Sony came out with a new camera called the Sony Venice. And we were one of the first people to get to shoot with it. So they offered it to uh, my friend uh, Ben Meredith. It's his project, the, the last broadcast. And we went out and shot three shorts in three days. We literally had to come up with a plot. It was like a 48-hour film festival. It was insane. Uh, we went out, shot it, and put it together all within a couple of weeks and put it out. And you know, now Sony uses it as kind of its test footage for saying, hey, this is the type of uh, footage you can get with the Sony Venice. My, my version, I got to shoot on its IMAX settings, which was pretty cool. We shot with these uh, Tokina Vista lenses, so it was it was a package that really hasn't been used before, and you know that opportunity to go in and do that. Um, and ever since then was when you know, I directed that in the summer, and so ever since then my focus has been getting my first feature film, which I just got attached to uh, two weeks ago. But we just did a we just launched the rewrites on the script, and I also was attached to another project where we just finished the rewrites on that script, and we've you know submitted it to the producers, and so they're going to start shopping it around. So this is a really exciting time for me. I'm just you know working on productions, doing my pitches, and, and getting ready to make you know, something awesome. And in the background, I'm still got all my dreams for Never Hike Alone, pitching it around and, and making sure that eventually we can get this thing out and uh, we do it right. What does Friday the 13th mean to you? It's, I mean, it's my childhood. I mean, Friday the 13th for me, I'm a, I'm a horror kid and I grew up with, with horror icons as, as my heroes. And so Friday the 13th, to me represents my childhood, my imagination, my fears, my, you know, my love for storytelling. Um, I mean, Friday the 13th is why I started researching storytelling because Friday the 13th didn't make any sense. So I started asking questions and those questions led me to answers. And even though my answers were like, oh, so Friday the 13th really just was kind of doing it wrong, but somehow they were still successful. So how did that happen? And it leads you deeper and deeper into these, these kind of theories about like what makes good film, what makes good cinema. And ultimately it's kind of this, it's boring, but if you don't have great characters and you don't have great actors behind those characters, no matter how good your story is, it's going to fall flat, but you can have an awful story. And if your characters are great and your actors deliver the performances, you know, fans will overlook that. And I think that that's what Friday the 13th is. Fans are overlooking an obviously broken story on its original thing that there's just somebody coming back for revenge. And, and Jason is the, is that icon? Um, you know, Pamela is that icon too, but there's something about Jason and that hockey mask that just, it resonates with fans. We want to keep seeing it and we want to keep seeing it go on. I do as a fan. And that's why I was thrust to make Never Hike Alone was because I was sad. I, I haven't seen a Friday the 13th in, in like eight, nine years. I didn't look like anyone was coming out any soon. And if they were going to make one, it looks like they weren't going to make anything that I was actually going to enjoy. And I'm not sure that the, the franchise has really made anything I've really, really enjoyed since the eighties. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, it, it's, it's my favorite form of entertainment and horror. I want to see it, uh, reach the next level. I want to see it come back and I want to see it done right. So, I mean, for me, Friday the 13th is everything when it comes to horror. And if it's not coming out, then, then it's just, you know, all these, you know, Dove Halloween has stuff, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Child's 
play. You know, Child's Play has two franchises going on at the same time. Critters just came back to Shudder. It all means nothing to me because Friday the 13th isn't there. <laughs> it's nice. It's kind of like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that stuff's coming out, but I want to see Jason. And so that's that's what Friday the 13th means to me. Who's your favorite Jason and why? And you can't say ghost, Jason. <laughs> I would never ever say that. Uh, no, I'm for me, it's Ted White. Um, I think Ted White is the is the Jason. Um, I love the stuff that Kane Hodder did. I love CJ's work in part six. But I think for me, the scariest is is somewhere between Ted White and CJ. But I think Ted, as far as performance goes, he brought he brought it. Um, he's an icon and you know, Ted even throws his cap to Kane. I think Kane did great things, but Kane's unfortunate fight is he only started when the films really started to go downhill. I mean, part seven would be the best of, of what he was in. Um, but eight, nine and 10, you know, eight, nine and X it's kind of, it, it's back and forth. I think Kane's performances in part seven and eight are, are amazing. Um, nine it, it he's just not in it enough and then 10 it's fine but it's such a goofy movie that it's it's tough to take it as a serious friday the 13th even though i do enjoy jason x more than the remake and freddy versus jason <laughs> uh but you know it's still there but I, but ted ted's the man who is your favorite final girl from the franchise that's jenny oh i still have a crush on on amy still to this day uh i i remember being a kid and seeing jenny for the first time and i absolutely fell in love when she pulled into that little bug um and just her, her wit, her, just the way she outsmarts Jason at the end of the film. I just, I just love that. Um, and yeah, I'm just a big Amy Steele fan. What is your favorite Voorhees kill? It would be part two, Mark Machete to the face, wheelchair down the stairs. <laughs> that is just, I mean, it's the most brutal thing of all time. And just then even like, as I got older, appreciating it more that like, wow, a dude with prosthetics on his face literally rolled backwards downstairs in a wheelchair. How did that dude survive? I have to know the story. I want to see the behind the scenes photos. I got to see how that was all like all done. And for the, the big one, what's your feelings on the current state of the Friday the 13th fandom well i mean right now we're in a bit of a of, of a of a bind i mean last week uh, i think it'll be last week now whenever this gets posted we just saw the new rulings uh it, which is kind of confusing i mean we're looking at an appeal which if it keeps going is going to go another two to three years and then there's this mediation which is happening on may the 7th which is that gonna overturn the appeal is that gonna maybe allow us to get more of Friday the 13th. And I think where the fandom is, is that our hands, our hands are up in the air, our shoulders are shrugged and we're like, what's going on? When are we going to get new material? And part of the response to that has been, you know, a bunch of fan films coming out, a lot of fan inspired content. Um, you know, we, we had to sit through 10 years of just development health. I mean, we had to remember that there was 10 years that passed and Paramount couldn't get a film made. They made one film and then off of its kind of like mediocre kind of return, it, they never made another one because of it. They went through four different aspects, you know, one with Shannon and Swift, two with uh, David Bruckner, one found footage, one more traditional. And they did the one with Breck Eisner, which they canceled in 2017. It's, you know, the franchise has been floundering for a long time and the fan base has been sitting here waiting for material. And now we're getting so sick of it that we're making most of it <laughs> on our own. I mean, we had fans make a game, which was pretty awesome. And the unfortunate side of it was, is to see after all that hard work and fans going to Kickstarter and raising over a million bucks to get this thing made and them using that to get the game made and released. And they were just, when it came to, I mean, after 10 years of nothing, all of a sudden we get a game, which is something we've been asking about for like 30 years. That's not Jason running around on an 8-bit map or you running around 
8 bit map throwing rocks at zombies. <laughs> um, you know, and what does the fan base do? The first thing they do is start to complain about it and they start to get angry at it. And, you know, it just, it's, I don't know. I think part of the fandom, it's like our, our made us a little toxic. Um, and I just hope that fans can continue to be positive and support Friday the 13th when it comes out. And I hope on the reciprocation that studios actually start to listen to fans because we're showing that we have good ideas. I mean, fans are showing up and supporting, you know, Friday the 13th fan films. I mean, after Never Hike Alone, the amount of Friday the 13th fan films that started showing up on crowdfunding became somewhat ridiculous. I mean, there was one, I mean, for me, I mean, I would get notifications and emails from people about like, hey, I'm doing a Friday the 13th fan film now that, you know, that you did it. Like, help me, how do I do it? And, you know, I, I think it's great. I think it's great that people are running out and trying to make their their films. But one of the things that I see kind of out there as I'm as I'm watching it now kind of unfold, it's I think people have to stop and ask themselves a question before they go and want to make a fan film is why? Why do you want to make a fan film? Do you feel like you have a story to tell? Are you just bored? Um, do you just want attention? Uh, and if you can't come up with an answer that isn't like, no, listen, I'm really passionate about Friday the 13th and I think I have a really good story, then you should just sit back and let the people who are really passionate about this do the work and not worry about having to contribute. You can contribute by supporting these projects. I know that, you know, after this next run of, uh, fan films are going to be coming out and I'm really looking forward to, uh, Jason Rising, uh, which is a fan film created by a guy named James Sweet out of Seattle. Um, I think they're launching a crowdfunding campaign right after the Never Hike Alone Blu-ray campaign wraps up. Um, and that's that's a subject that I've always kind of wanted to see was kind of like, I know that our Jason went back, took a modern take, redesigned and things like that. But this is a fan film that, you know, is focusing on like a part four style Jason. I mean, I already said that Ted White was, you know, a big influence of mine. So seeing a Ted White type Jason back on screen again is pretty cool. Um, I saw some images from them where like Pamela's rising from the grave. I don't know what that's about yet, but like, I'm really interested in that. And like, do is allow fans the opportunity to delve into some of the more fan service type subjects that uh, the studios can't. So um, as long as fans are there to support it, I, you know, I think if the appeal keeps going on and this is the world we're going to live in as Friday the 13th fans where we're not going to get official material, well, then the fans better be prepared and hopefully they are to continue supporting fan run projects as they appear. Um, you know, I, I, I don't say support them blindly, make sure that, you know, people are doing their due diligence to do the proper production procedures and they're doing it the right way and they're not just going to wait. Because I mean, crowdfunding is a risk. I mean, anytime you put your money into a crowdfunding venture, there's a potential that the whole, you know, thing could go belly up. Um, so make sure that when you're, when you're investing in these projects, that you're researching the people who are making them, you're seeing that they're putting in the right amount of effort and that they have the right amount of skill work to actually, you know, put your money to good use. And I know that we're going to be coming back to fans later on this year with uh, more Never Hike Alone material, and we're going to present that when we can. And, you know, I, I'm excited to see that fans are, are supporting it, but, you know, I just hope they're still there and they're still, you know, ready for fan material and ready to come back out with, with, you know, stuff for Never Hike Alone. And if, if they can do that, they're, they're going to help us, uh, you know, do something that the franchise has never seen before. And it's going to be something special. And I think that if Friday the 13th can continue to rally, you know, Friday the 13th fans can continue to rally around each other and support each other. Um, that the fans are going to be all the better for it. Once again, thank you, Vincent, for coming on this episode. And to everyone listening at home, thank you for joining us on the Gore and More podcast. And that is your host, TJ Bowser, signing off. He drowned in all our sins. He drowned in our mistakes. Fueled by the flood, we pay in blood. The curse of Crystal Lake. Yeah.